Welcome to the Writer's Room on Dublin City FM. I'm Jonathan Creasy. We're excited to be here broadcasting our very first episode. Each week in the Writer's Room, I'll be talking to a writer from Ireland or abroad and asking them the fundamental questions of their craft. Where they write, how they write, what they write, and why they write. We're extremely lucky to have as our first guest on the program, Anne-Marie Nakuran. Nakuran is a poet from Northwest Donegal, living and working in Dublin. Her first book, Bloodroot, published by Dura Press, explores family, history, and language, and how those histories have shaped and often silenced women's voices. Her second book, Town, is a collaboration with photographer Rich Gilligan. It's published by the Salvage Press. Anne-Marie, welcome to the Writer's Room. Good afternoon. I'm delighted to be your first guest, Jonathan. Well, thank you. Would you start off uh, just with reading something? I'd be delighted to. I will read a poem from my debut collection, Bloodroot, which is titled Sisters. And it's an ode to the many foster sisters I had as a child growing up in Donegal in a family that fostered children. Sisters. Let it be said... I caught a nick in my own skin and by a spit became blooded to them all. Maeve swaddled in clean cloth like a gem as her mother, aged 16, leaned against the kitchen counter and watched me hold. Breege and Marie found in a trailer by the river speaking in a twisted song. Emer, who was always going home, Neve, who I was wild for and who was wild for me, but who held me under in the pool until both of us were dragged out of the water sobbing. Dara, who pulled her shirt up to reveal a string of roses on her ribs. Here are the gifts of my father, she said. Grace, who could fix any error with a piece of purple gum. Sarah, pure as water, bold as fire, I can still see her tear across the hill on that guy's motorbike, high-headed and ready for battle. Tailed women, denim stealers, alley girls in white musk with nine lives, these were my sisters. We argued over top bunks, we bled on sheets, we were four in a room the winter the house was falling down. We wrote letters to the man on the radio. We scanned the news for names of the dead. We curled letters inside bottles and threw them out to sea. We snapped wishbones, swore on graves, buried our treasure. We swung the gold of our mothers over our palms three times and asked the heir, Will I be loved? Yes or no? Yes or no? Yes or no. Beautiful. Thank you. A, a, a poem about family. And, and you grew up in northwest Donegal in an Irish-speaking family. Could you talk about that landscape and the language and how it shaped you as a person and as a writer? Definitely growing up in Donegal in the 1980s was a very particular experience, um, not least because it was flanked on one side by the Atlantic Ocean and um, all the folklore and of the sea, uh, the fishermen's tales and all that superstition. But um, also 
the county has a border with Northern Ireland. So I was I was very aware of that atmosphere happening only kind of 40 minutes um, out the road and of the fact as well that my my father's birth family lived in Northern Ireland, a birth family that we had yet to connect with, that we had um, yet to get to know. But, you know, the 1980s, as I said, was a very particular time because that was a time in Ireland when um, you know, conversations were happening about women's lives and about family and about uh, motherhood and the lives of women. So all of that, all of that kind of melded together, created, you know, for me, some kind of melting pot of ideas around identity and landscape and how we're shaped during those first few early years by, you know, the things that we hear, um, the things that we hear in the community, uh, the things that we hear, um, you know, via the radio, like the radio was a big influence um, in my life and uh, and the media, you know, it wasn't a bookish household per se, but there were a lot of newspapers. So I was at a very early age tuned into what was happening in the country, you know, the stories around uh, Anne Lovett, the stories around the Kerry babies. Um, so, you know, I think, you know, when you're a child growing up and you're a writer child, you're observing and you're watching and you're absorbing everything around you. And growing up in Donegal at that time, there was plenty uh, to soak up that would later serve me as a writer. And what about the language itself, your poetry, which is written in English, but has such a focus on the language, the expressiveness of the language and how the language works Coming from an Irish language speaking family, how does that dynamic work in your life and and possibly in your work? Yeah, you know, I think I have a very complicated, in many ways, a very complicated relationship with language because I grew up speaking Irish. Irish was my first tongue. It was, uh, you know, the, the, the language of the sc- of the school. It was the language of the family home. And um, and and yet, you know, all of the books available to me were in English. So like our our teacher at school, a primary school teacher, she used to translate the Greek classics out of English, the English book and into Irish. So for us, it for me, it was a spoken language and it was a it's a language that lives um, that lives in the ear. So when I came to writing poetry, I was writing in English, but with an ear for this second language, you know, an, an ear for this um, for I think my my English is ghosted by the Irish language. So um, so I write in English, but with a great sensitivity for uh, the musicality of the Irish language and the lyricism and the poetry that is embedded into the Irish language. Um, so I write in English, but, you know, with a great um, focus on Irish language traditions as well. So there'd be many Irish language words in my poems or references to Irish mythology. Listeners would have heard you reference uh, foster family and foster children in your family when you introduced the poem Sisters. Tell us a mm. bit more about this. Mm. Well, I'm, I'm quite interested in uh, the topic of fostering, not only because I grew up in a in my biological family, a family that fostered children, but also because uh, fostering itself is a very old part of ancient Irish culture. So in a way, you know, it's very connected for me with the Irish language and um, 
you know, at one time in Ireland, you know, fostering was around building relationships between communities and between families. And, you know, many of the family stories and ancient Irish myth reference fostering like uh, was a was a foster child. But uh, for me, uh, I had um, my family started fostering when I was about 11 years old and um, between the ages of 11 and um, into my early 20s, I probably had about 30 um, just over 30 foster sisters and um, some foster brothers as well. And I don't know how much your listeners will know about um, fostering in Ireland, but um, it, it's it's basically a system that places a child who has, is at risk in their own family into a new family to be cared for. So I lived alongside um, people who are separated from their own biological families and homes for many reasons. Um, sometimes a parent was unwell or a parent was deceased or sometimes there was neglect happening in the home. And, you know, again, as a... Uh, whilst that was a very uh, um, complicated, difficult experience for me to make sense of as a child, it gave me such an insight into family dynamics and the subject of home and the ways in which different families have different types of languages as well. Like, you know, one of the things that happens is that a child will come to the foster home and will have their own sayings, will have their own turn of phrase, will have their own uh, references and, and will have their own untold story and their own secrets. And absolutely, I felt the weight of that. And I think that that has shaped my writing today. Being around so many people who had an untold story really shaped my writing. So your book, Bloodroot, which treats much of what you're talking about here in terms of your family and your background. Um, Bloodroot had a real impact on the Irish poetry scene. Can you talk about making mm. that book and then perhaps about the reception of it as well? Mm. I don't think that the writer always knows what they're writing when they're writing a poem or a book. It's Poetry is the pursuit of something mysterious. And for me, it's always been about the pursuit of source, trying to trace a thing back to some place of origin. So when I'm writing a poem, I might have an idea for the poem or when I'm putting together a book, I might have an idea for the book. But ultimately, I don't know where it's going to lead me. All I know is that I'm going to kind of try and follow that subject back as far as I can to its source. So I started uh, writing these poems that ended up in the, the book Bloodroot. And I thought, to be quite honest, I thought I was writing a book about landscape, about wilderness, about um, growing up in Donegal. I knew it was loosely a book about um, origins. But what I didn't know was that eventually I would be led to write poems about uh, many of the women whose stories were made public in the media in the 1980s. And some of the women referenced in the book, as I said earlier, are Anne Lovett and Joanne Hayes. So I, I began writing those poems and asking myself the question, why am I drawn towards the lives of these women? And I mean, it seems so obvious now. This might seem absolutely daft, but, you know, it took me a long time to realise that the woman really at the centre of this book was my father's birth mother. And uh, I had not really, up until the writing of this book, thought about her. But she 
is a woman who's completely mysterious to our family because she gave birth to my father in a mother and baby home and they became separated uh, through, I, I would say, I would say forced adoption. And, um, you know, I only came to think I only arrived at the point where I started to think about my family story through poetry. So I started the book thinking I'm writing about landscape. I ended up writing these political poems and then eventually, you know, one of the last poems to go into the book was the title poem Bloodroot, which is an ode to the grandmother I never knew who was lost to us through the mother and baby homes. Moving on to your new work, you've talked about your background in Donegal and your family. Um, The book Town is a book focused on Dublin, Ireland's so-called city of literature, with so many great writers. What was it like then to write about this location that you've adopted as your own home um, in, in this part of your life? I was well, I was actually born in Dublin and I um, spent my first three years in Dublin. So my parents, um, whilst they were building and creating a home in Donegal, worked here for a couple of years. And um, whilst Donegal is a place that I grew up, I always had some kind of emotional connection to the landscape of Dublin, um, some kind of old and distant um, relationship. And um When Jamie Murphy of the Salvage Press and NCAD invited me to collaborate with Rich Gilligan on a book that would in some way explore the landscape of Dublin, it was a really exciting opportunity for me to interrogate the landscape and to pull back the veil on it and to begin to think about the mythology and the folklore and the ancient stories that are are embedded into the landscape of the city. And I discovered so much during that process um, about uh, Dublin, you know, and, and one of the things I was reflecting on is that Dublin being bisected by a river Uh, being bisected by that most most rhythmic of forces, water, gives uh, the city dwellers and people who live here such a natural um, inclination towards sound, cadence, uh, momentum uh, of conversation and language. And, you know, in the city, like it's a city of storytellers, really. And it's a city of ghosts. People here are not afraid to tell a dark story, you know, and that's not the case in other cities around the world. Some people here are very funny, but they're unafraid to go to those uh, bold, dark places as well with a narrative. So I I think I unpacked all of that in this book, Town, which is a suite of 10 poems. And each poem sits alongside a photograph, which was taken by Rich Gilligan. And it's a beautiful letterpress uh, printed book, um, beautifully bound. And it's gone into library collections all around the world. World. And are there particular Dublin writers that you looked to for reference and for inspiration in writing town? I have referenced um, some of Joyce's work and he's unavoidable. You know, you can't you you can't tackle the subject of Dublin without um, looking at his writing. So that was very important to me. But I also found narratives embedded into sites and monuments and ruins all over the city. Um, so it, I didn't feel there was any any shortage at all. Um, 
I had spent some time recently uh, working in Mountjoy Prison with the uh, with the, the the students there in the school. I was doing creative writing uh, with um, some of the students there, and so that was a natural place for me to start. In Bloodroot, I'm very interested in voices that have been erased or pushed into the brackets of history, and that that same concern followed through in my second book, Town. I was interested in voices voices that are not heard in the city and it was very natural for me to start with kind of an ode to uh, you know the students in Mount Joy who in many ways had taught me a lot about language and had taught me a lot about using your voice and uh, what it means to speak a truth and what it means to go to that difficult part of yourself and to say something that perhaps had never been said before to yourself or to other people. Fascinating yeah and what about the writers in prison work um, it is a scheme that's set up through the Arts Council is that correct? It's set up through the Arts Council it's called the Writers in Prison Scheme And how has that started to influence your work as a writer not just in your own writer's room and at the writer's desk but as a writer in the world engaging with your city with your community with the environment mm. um, it, it, it wouldn't be an easy thing to do and it must have taken you into some areas um, that, that you really hadn't been before? Certainly not an easy experience at all. And I was very daunted uh, by the idea of going into one of the prisons, but it was such a rich experience. It was really powerful. And there's an atmosphere in in that kind of workshop where you have a gathering of people who may be coming to writing for the very first time, who m- might kind be carrying a lot of history and emotional history that they haven't yet given voice to. And they're coming to poetry and looking to poetry as a way of sharing a perspective of the world that perhaps they haven't had the chance elsewhere to share. So it's a very intense experience, the writing in prisons. And I learned a lot from it. You know, there's an energy in those type of workshops that I really haven't found elsewhere. And it's it's a mutually rich, it's a two-way process. I'm learning from, from them and they're learning from me. And there's a huge emphasis in those workshops on the relationship of trust, really, both between people in the group and with the group and and with myself. Um, So typically in those workshops, we would draw a lot upon um, we draw a lot upon personal writing and autobiography and um, do so in a way that, you know, uh, with a light touch um, in a way, you know, that we can keep uh, a sense of humour about it and um, and in a way that's safe as well for everyone. So drawing upon autobiographical uh, material, we might look at structure and form and metaphor and how poetry can be used as a vehicle to talk about very difficult, sensitive material. So now writer to writer, poet to poet, let's talk a bit about craft. I've heard you talk about the practice of writing before. Both of us know many visual artists, many musicians who seem to more easily develop um, either a studio practice or a way of approaching their work. But writers don't talk about this as much. It's often seemed to be, you know, left to just the sort of mystery of, um, you know, the tap on the shoulder, this kind of thing. But you've talked about that very dynamic practice in writing 
how do you write and mm -hmm. and where do you write? Can you talk a bit about mm -hmm. just the the fundamental practice? Mm -hmm. I think that after my master's in the Oscar Wilde Centre in Trinity uh, in creative writing, I think that after I completed that study, I thought I would sit at a desk and wait for <laughs> wait for um, inspiration to hit, you know, some kind of muse to come and possess me. And I did that for a while and I found that it was very testing and challenging and sometimes quite boring and not all that productive, actually. And so whilst I do take some periods of solitude today and desk time is essential and quiet time and meditative time is all part of a writer's practice, a lot of my work is actually on the road. And a lot of my work is meeting with communities, doing community workshops, um, immersing myself in different types of landscape and kind of gathering information and notes and um, taking bits and pieces like a magpie from conversations or places that I visit. And there's a lot of collecting that goes on. Um, in my practice. So last year I was writer in residence in County Kerry and this year I'm going to be the commissioned writer with Temple Bar uh, Gallery and Studios. And so I quite enjoy that collaboration with artists working in different disciplines and also with the community. I love working with older voices in the community because, um, you know, they can give me an insight into subjects that I haven't lived through so they can give me kind of firsthand um, experience of you know what it was like in 1960 to live through a specific period of time in Ireland etc. So that dialogue is uh, something that is very much part of my practice at the centre of my practice and um, and I kind of you know I balance that time of being on, on the road out with the time that uh, I, I must spend um, sitting at my desk and drafting and editing and shaping and crafting the poem onto the page. You touched on something there that, that I think again is common to, to both of our work um, but that's collaboration. Um, you've collaborated with uh, a photographer in town um, I know you're also working on musical collaborations um, in opera. Can you talk about the relationship with collaborators and maybe some of those collaborations specifically? Yeah. One of the collaborations that I'm thinking about most at the moment is uh, an opera production collaboration with composer Michael Gallen, who is also based in the city a lot and with writer Dylan Coburn Gray and and many other people as well. But together, myself and Dylan are writing a libretto uh, for an opera and co-writing something, you know, co-writing a text is almost a brand new challenge for me because whilst I do collaborate around ideas, um, it's a new departure for me to sit down with another writer and to start creating a text together. And the thing about collaboration is that it's an opportunity to step outside your comfort zone, to challenge yourself. I mean, absolutely, poetry is my first love. So I could choose to stay focused on poetry 
all of the time. But the reality is, is that my poetry practice is fed and nourished by the opportunity to collaborate on an opera or to collaborate with a photographer or hopefully now over the next couple of months to have conversations with visual artists in the gallery. And I bring all of that back into my uh, practice as a poet. So I would foresee that I will continue to collaborate throughout my life and I would like wackier, crazier, weirder collaborations as well. You know, there's something really exciting about putting two people or two art disciplines or two voices or heads or ideas together that you wouldn't normally, you know, uh, expect to find together and to seeing seeing what comes out of that alchemy. So I think of collaboration as a process of alchemy, really. And sometimes they work and and sometimes they work better than other times. You know, not every collaboration um, is as rich as uh, it, you, you might hope it would be. But uh, sometimes that magic thing happens and you reach that sweet spot and uh, two people can create something that, you know, no individual can create. That's great. Would you send us off with one more poem? Absolutely. Um, I might finish with the title poem of uh, Bloodroot. And it was written at the Castle Pollard Mother and Baby Home. I actually drove down to the Castle Pollard uh, Mother and Baby Home site in County Westmeath, where by some strange and wonderful twist of fate. I'm now a Westmeath writer in residence uh, as well, um, based in the Athlone Library. So this this poem is an ode to the women who passed through the home. And in particular, I was thinking about my grandmother, Annie. Bloodroot. Behind the gates, a black awakening of trees. Were you made to kneel here too, Mary, Josephine, Bernadette? If I call you by your house names, will you speak? Torn avenue and pillars either side, I am here for the girl who had birds in her eyes. If I render a wing, may she speak? Father with two red seeds in your palms. If I show you my bones spilling out, will you show me a stone in this yard that can speak? Doors, if I stitch you a collar of lace, all spring as I wait for the firstborn heat, please won't you open and speak? Home, if I press my lips to your runes, three times and circle the grounds like a beast. If I say my root to this earth, who will hear when I speak? That's poet Anne-Marie Nakuron. You've been listening to The Writer's Room, produced by Pegasus and New Dublin Press for Dublin City FM. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you next week.